Welcome back to every A24 movie on Blu-ray, the show where we watch every fucking A24 movie on Blu-ray while SAG-AFTRA is still on strike. I'm Steven. I am here as always with my faithful friends and co-hosts, Patrick. Hello. And Chris. Hey. And we're here today to talk about the 2015 uh actually i think it came out later doesn't matter uh the 2015 a24 movie directed by osgood perkins the black coat's daughter we're gonna get into it but before we do that we like to do a little catch-up and i have a feeling this catch-up is going to be kind of robust because we are in peak spooky season this is coming out after halloween i know patrick and i watched a whole eight-hour show that we're gonna have to get into Mm -hmm. among other things Chris, why don't you go first? What have you been treating yourself to this spooky season? <laughs> well, listen, I play a lot of Call of Duty Warzone with my with my boys, with my other scary boys. stuff. Well, <laughs> usually not, but every Halloween they tend to have a little gimmick, like they they you know introduce. Some, they're like, hey, if you want to spend twenty bucks, you could play as Leatherface and run around, and you know, aesthetic changes only to the game. This year, they're going all out. Not only is there a huge Halloween mode on the maps that I won't get into in too much detail, but it has you hunting various monsters. Mm -hmm. They have themed this entire season, for some reason, around Spawn. So this is Spawn news. Fuck yeah. And listen, like I said, they've brought in copyrighted characters before, other intellectual properties. There, It usually is like a one-off uh, skin for your character that you can buy. It's an aesthetic-only thing. This whole fucking season, if you were just in the menus and you didn't weren't in the gameplay, you would think it was a Spawn game because Spawn and Spawn's rogues gallery is all over the menus. It's all over all the unlockable shit. You can play as like four different char- four different variants of Spawn, including his human alter ego. You can play as the clown. You can play as the clown in the violator form. You can. Can play you play as, as- Malbolgia? No Malbolgia, but all Fuck. these other villains from Spawn I didn't even know about. They got Keith David doing the Spawn voice in this game. Well, oh, sure. What yeah. else does he have going on? I have a question about the clown, though. Can you fart? Is that an ability? Do you get the green <laughs> gaseous cloud? You know, it's possible. I don't know. There's a chance that his like execution is like he farts on your face like Arnold. Um <laughs> So, I mean, is this, like, accessible to a noob? Because I have zero interest in playing Call of Duty anything normally, but I am very interested in playing a Spawn <laughs> game. Can I just, like, it's, jump it's into It's not this? a Spawn game. No, it's not a Spawn game. It's, it's still mostly an aesthetic upgrade, but the amount of Spawn aesthetics that have been added to the game is really something. All right. Can I interject briefly for some Spawn news is non-news? Um because this was Spawn news. We can definitely say that what Chris just shared is actually Spawn news. That's real Spawn news. This is some yeah. non-news. Uh, no Jason Blum 
during a press line for Blumhouse at New York City Comic Con 2023, teased Spawn movie currently in development at his eponymous production company. And guess what, guys? It's going to be the air quotes Blumhouse version of a superhero movie. They're going to have David Gordon Green directing. It's <laughs> going to be edgy and original. Also, air quotes. Well, that's I would the hope latest so. non news. Hasn't Todd been claiming that he's going to direct it? That's the plan. Uh, okay. I think it is still the plan. Jamie Foxx still attached, as far as I can tell from this very vague update that echoes so many other so-called updates we've covered <laughs> in years past. Uh, but this is this is fresh. This is October twenty second, twenty twenty three, seven oh six p.m. Pacific time. Jason Blum in with the deets on the new Spawn movie. Yeah, this fucking Spawn movie has been in in development longer than like a fucking Guillermo del Toro project. Well, you know, if they start production and something happens to it or it's a bad movie, I predict Todd McFarlane, out of anger, will start a corporation called McFarlane <laughs> Films. <laughs> He'll make his own damn spawn movie. Because we know from Todd McFarlane, like, hell I won't. He starts corporations out of anger. Yeah. The reason he started McFarlane Toys is because no one else would make toys after his properties, much less with the level of detail and articulation he was demanding. So, I think one of these days we need to just finally get sufficiently angry enough to actually start Amon LLC. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, in other other kind of maybe related news, A24, our parent company, has said that they're open to a big IP and that they're they're going to start trying to compete with the you know kind of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If Blum drops the ball, we might see a Spawn movie from A twenty four. Just saying. Oh, hmm. That I mean, yeah, that would probably interest me more than a Blumhouse Spawn movie. I mean, look, I'm interested to see a new Spawn movie. I'm interested enough in oh, this yeah. character. Um, but just everything Todd has said about it for the past decade has not piqued my interest. Yeah, how about a Spawn movie? Where you barely see Spawn. He's like the shark in Jaws. So That's exciting. what he keeps saying. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> what the? I don't understand, but he's a visionary. I'm sure it'll be a masterpiece. I mean, the entire point of Spawn, like the, the entire property is built around just like Spawn looking cool. Like that's the <laughs> number one point of Spawn is he looks fucking cool and you're not going to show me Spawn. <laughs> um, right. I want to see the cape that, that just extends to infinity. I want to see the yeah. chains that do the same. I want to yeah. see him lurking atop New York City buildings. I don't know if it takes place in New York. I can't remember, but. You know, it's it's kind of like like a, a horror Spider-Man almost. That's what we. Yeah, do. yeah, absolutely. Um, that was a tangent, Chris. Did you have anything else? <laughs> no, that's it. Let's let's keep this. Uh, let's keep this thing. Let's keep these chains moving. Let's keep let's, them moving. Let's talk about our eight-hour watching experience on the platform we no longer speak of on this show. Yeah, I mean, I'm conflicted about whether or not we should talk about it, but fuck it, let's talk about it because it was great. The Fall of the House of Usher, the new Mike Flanagan series on, yes. uh, on yeah, we can't say the name of the service, but you'll find it. <laughs> um, it might be, you know, the name of the service might be on your podcast player right now. <laughs> it might be, you might be looking right at it, but we're not going to say it. Um, I thought this was a blast. We're get, it's yeah. such a fun one. It's like the nastiest thing Mike Flanagan has ever done because it is centered around a succession-like ensemble of characters that are just 
hateful to their core. Um, so Rich, he has spoiled some, petty assholes. Yeah, so he has fun just killing them off, making them reckon for their sins. You know, this is about uh, Big Pharma, the uh, uh, Roderick Usher, played by um, what's his name, uh, uh, Bruce Greenwood. Bruce Greenwood is kind of the scion of this this pharmaceutical company that has caused millions of of deaths. And and death has come for him and his family. And it's very Poe. It's packed with references. I thought that was going to be cloying, but some of them are so obscure and ridiculous and used in such a fun way that I, I just realized, like, that's the language of this show. People are just speaking Poe. Things are named after Poe stories. Things are named after Poe adaptations. The cast, incredible. I mean, you could look at it and be like, well, this is a bunch of C-listers. But together, uh, they're so, uh, each of them embodies their, their character so specifically and so interestingly. It's queer as hell. There's so so many so many queer relationships going on in this that feel natural and don't feel forced. I, I loved it. What did you think, Patrick? Oh, really just co-sign all of that. It was a blast. It was really fun to see Flanagan uh, kind of stretch a little bit. This felt, uh, the the other uh, kind of reference point for me is American Horror Story. It felt kind of trashy and lurid in the, the mm-hmm. same way that American Horror Story and Ryan Murphy joints often do. Uh, doesn't really go for the heartstring tugging kind of moments that Flanagan usually tends to, which I didn't necessarily miss, even though I usually enjoy that about his work because it was just so goddamn entertaining. You know, it's it's, it's still a show that has something to say, even though there's not a lot of characters to uh, really attach yourself to. It's really, really well done. Even if you don't think you like Flanagan, give this a look because it utilizes his talents and and the talents of his usual uh, kind of repertory players um, fully, but feels quite different from really anything he's done before. Totally. I've got a couple other things, and then we'll get to you, Patrick. I I had to narrow my list down because I'm back, baby. I've gotten out of whatever funk I've been in for the most part and have been watching some spooky stuff. Not all of it's good. (laughs) I watched the 2023 movie Cobweb that came out last July. Have you guys heard of this? Yeah, I heard of it, and and (laughs) I it was playing at Cinemark. And I'd mm-hmm. never heard of it. And and our Cinemark plays a lot of Indian films. And yeah. I assumed for some reason that it was an Indian film because I'd never heard of it. It was way down at the bottom of the marquee where they put the foreign films. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not, is it? And no, it's not. It's an, it's an interesting movie that I don't, I can't really recommend. It's weird that it came out in July because it has big when when we talk about halloween energy this movie is like set a week before halloween the backyard of the house it takes place in is just rife with pumpkins it's it's a treat to look at and it looks great for a smaller indie movie this is a story about a little boy who begins to hear weird noises behind the wall in his bedroom and he suspects that his parents might not be quite who or how they seem to be. Um, The dad is played by Anthony Starr from The Boys. And if you want somebody shifty looking to play a dad in a movie, I mean, you know right out the gate something's wrong with him. It's just written on his face. He's great. Lizzie Kaplan is great and kind of over the top as the mom. Um, I have to say that the there's kind of a – I don't even know if you call it a twist or a rug pull, but there's a reveal – two-thirds of the way into the movie that just didn't work for me and some special effects that it necessitates that looked really bad and really, really kind of choppy. 
and I was kind of overall unsatisfied with it, but I appreciated the big swing, especially on a small budget. Mm. Um, I, you know, I, I would give it a cue it and say, definitely watch it right around now, right around Halloween, not in the middle of July. I don't know what psychopath decided to release it <laughs> then. And then the other thing I watched uh, last night, I revisited the gate from 1986, which is becoming one of my favorite horror movies. It's definitely like a kinder trauma gateway movie. This stars a baby. I mean, he's got, he's got baby fat on his face. Steven Dorff as a little boy, uh, he and his sister live in this like very eighties looking suburban home. Their parents go away for three days and shit goes to hell. They open a gate to hell inadvertently a meteor crashes down and it's so, there's so many fun effects in it, but it's a movie that like, even though it's made for like 13 year olds is scary to me as an adult because it made, makes me feel at least what it was like to be that age without adult supervision and when things start to go wrong and you start to worry that maybe, you know, monsters are real and like the consequences could be bigger. It's like all grounded in that kid's perspective, even the way that things are shot. That is really kind of eerie and fun. And it's got a lot of fun satanic panic stuff in it, too. Mm. He's got a best friend who looks like a nerd, but he's into black metal and um, fun monster stuff. A couple of special effects things in this that, like, I know how they did it, but it's still incredibly impressive and memorable. So check out The Gate from 1986. Patrick, what else have you been viewing Oh my God, so much, but I'm going to uh, kind of cut cut some stuff for time. Uh, I <laughs> watched uh, Van Helsing, the Hugh Jackman mm-hmm. monster mash from, uh, I don't know, a couple decades ago with our friends on the It Slays podcast. So I just want to give that a quick shout out. Uh, if you want to know what I thought of it, go listen to their episode on it. It is out there for your enjoyment. Um, I've also been working my way through, well, have now finished uh, Stephen King's latest, Holly. Um, which I enjoyed quite a bit, actually. Um, Mm. It was a page-turner for me. It has... There's kind of a weird... Stephen King's uh, personal kind of obsessions creep into his novels to varying degrees all the time, and definitely his uh, obsession with COVID really kind of hangs over this novel to, I think, an unnecessary degree that didn't really (laughs) seem relevant to the plot in the end. Um, But as usual, just excellent character work and uh, really kind of structures a unique uh, uh, murder mystery where you know who does it from chapter one. It's kind of that X-Files thing that we joke about sometimes, Chris, where, uh, you know, we talk about how the worst X-Files episodes start with, you already know what it takes, Skulder, Skulder, Scully, (laughs) Scully and Mulder, (laughs) 45 minutes to find out. Um, But it works in this book, though, because you're kind of trying to figure out why they're doing it and waiting to see if uh, Holly, our PI uh, protagonist, is going to catch up to the killers in time. But anyways, I enjoyed that. The other big project that I've undertaken since we spoke last is, uh, y'all know I recently did uh, yet another giant franchise watch, if you listen to our recent special episode on every paranormal activity movie ever. And, you know, I just can't get enough of a fucking franchise. So (laughs) since we last spoke, I knocked out the entire Chucky franchise in the space of a week and uh, actually had a pretty good time with it. It kind of stands apart as, you know, to some degree, Don Mancini's semi-consistent auteur vision for this weird-ass fucking character and concept 
um, that's been stretching on for decades now. And it was interesting to kind of see the permutations that it's gone through over the years, which bizarrely become stronger with time. Uh, we reviewed Cult of Chucky for the show while ago and um that's a pretty solid installment anyways had some fun with that and i'm looking forward to checking out the uh the series as well because i've heard that's pretty solid uh, yeah the, i'm i've seen most of them but it's been a really long time but i didn't know he was i didn't really know who don mancini was until like five years ago and i'm like oh queer icon yeah he shepherded this massively popular franchise i mean there's a fucking blow up chucky right down the road from us on south grove oh yeah if you've seen if you head down to 94 yep. you know, it's a household name and and created by this wonderful intelligent creative gay bro i i think it's gay bro should probably should probably dive in and check out that series too yeah, it's it's worth it. I found it. I found basically all of them entertaining in some way or another. The third one was a bit of a dud to me, but otherwise, I enjoyed pretty much all of them. The the two from the uh, I think it's early aughts, Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky, go a little hard on just the fucking disgusting humor, but for the most part, enjoyed the franchise. And I mean, like, how many franchises? like stick with again a a single person's kind of like consistent narrative vision no matter how it may fluctuate over that length of a period of time it's wild yeah or even just like the same character (laughs) i I feel like a lot of these franchises get sidelined i'm thinking of like friday the 13th there's like a protagonist is played by three different fucking people like this Mm -hmm. is don mancini and uh brad duroff yeah through and through and now fiona duraf keeping it in the family right right well it never ceases to surprise me how much she looks like her dad yeah anyways let's talk about the fucking movie we're here to talk about yeah let's it's been fun catching up on what else we've been watching let's talk about the assignment the black coat's daughter uh directed by oz perkins son of anthony perkins famous actor from psycho this was his directorial debut um, I mean, the plot is pretty simple. It's winter, and a couple of young women are stuck at the prep school during winter break. Uh, one of them uh, has a premonition that her parents, you know, it's like in the first two minutes of the movie that her parents might have died on the way. The other one is lied to tell the headmaster that uh, she, she she told her parents to come a day later. Uh, by accident because she's got a secret to hide and they eventually contend with an evil force this is a weird movie to talk about because there are multiple timelines going on multiple different kind of perspective shifts sort of so it's going to be an interesting conversation how do we avoid our spoilers well we'll we'll figure that out there's also in parallel a a third character who's introduced and she meets a couple presumably possibly the parents of one of the two aforementioned girls and they're on their way to the boarding school as well and there's a mystery sort of around that um but yeah it was made in it was made in 2015 you were confused Stephen, i think because it was made in 2015 premiered in 2015 didn't really get picked up and distributed till 2017 Right. It was, I remember, so I think the year, I think 2015 is right around when I started getting really back into horror and listening to uh, the Shockwaves podcast. And I remember, if it wasn't 2015, it was a year later, I remember one of the hosts or two of the hosts being really obsessed with this movie 
they had seen it on the festival circuit multiple times under the title February, which I think is a much better title for so many reasons, but still kind of Ooh. frustrating, maybe. Um, but yeah, you're right. Then then Oz Perkins made uh, for uh, Netflix, Cough, Cough, uh, I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House, and then the success of that got this movie released, I oh, think I is, is the narrative. Here. Mm. Yeah, I had this confused when you picked it with The Woman in Black. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Daniel like Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe, like gothic yeah. horror or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it's a weird title because, I, yeah, it sounds like a period piece. And yeah. as I probably referenced on the, the title sounds like it's a period piece. As I've probably referenced multiple times on this show before, I, I'm not crazy about period pieces. And so I've actually avoided this a couple of times in the past, like just flipped right past it. Cause I was like, mm, nah, I don't want to watch a fucking 1700s ass horror movie. It's not, it's set right now. <laughs> kind, so kind of February same. and black coats daughter, both kind of terrible titles. I think for this, I've kind of avoided it for similar reasons. And I don't know what it is because I don't hate a period piece. I mean, mm. just, it's, it just sounded, I don't know. It doesn't sound scary. It sounds kind of dour. Like that that was sort of my initial mm-hmm. reaction to the title. I just kind of bounced off of it. Well, that is the case. It certainly is dour. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it is a gloomy looking feeling movie. It's dour. It's atmospheric. I really like the atmosphere. I really like the look of this movie. Uh I really like the cinematography. I uh, really I think of, it looks beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's very evocative of February, which is a weird month. I think for a lot of us, at least in the Midwest, that is like typically the bleakest month of the year as far yeah. as winter weather goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost hard for me to separate like my emotional response to that season from how well this movie evokes it because I'm just like, God, this looks so ugly and oppressive and everything is gray and blue and black, but it's not in an artificial like Zack Snyder ass feeling way. Like mm-hmm. it's, it feels, it feels organic and it is done with uh, some, some degree of craft. So I have to give it props for that, even though at the same time I was just like feeling, yeah, again, kind of a strong emotional response against it as I was watching the movie. I really like the cinematography. Everything is framed just a little bit off from maybe what you feel it should be. At least I thought so. Like if you're if you're looking for like the traditional like rule of thirds or something, it's it's kind of hard to find. There's things that are kind of like put tucked into corners of the frame and stuff. And <laughs> there's it, a little of of the king's speech in a couple of shots. That's a movie I thought of <laughs> watching, but like not. I mean, only in passing. And then I realized like, oh, maybe that one shot was kind of weird. But I overall really liked what you're talking about. That things are just slightly off, slightly off, and even though it. it it makes it feel like a bigger image. I thought mm. like it, it kind of felt like I was watching something in IMAX or something. Cause there's like a lot of empty space in the frame, like over characters, heads and things. The fr- the, the, the frame's no taller than any other right. movie, but it just felt a lot roomier just the way things are shot. And I really liked it. And, and when you're, you know, dealing with the, especially the outdoor scenes when it's winter and it's night or one of the, first shots of the movie is like a ambiguous shot of a pile of snow kind of puts you there. So I really like that. I really like the way this was directed and the way it looked and the way it felt. It looks great. Have you, either of you seen Gretel and Hansel? 
No. Uh, Oz Perkins 2020 movie. Yeah, that's another movie that just looks absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it touched a soft spot for me because I loved Hansel and Gretel as a kid and was kind of obsessed with the Tim Burton Hansel and Gretel adaptation he did for i think the disney channel back in the 80s that's like super hard to find um but but he does a really good job of evoking you know something that's that's weird and off kilter but in that case still telling us kind of a familiar fairy tale here he's telling us a completely original story that i simply don't know how to talk about without spoilers (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's weird because as we've mentioned there are kind of three two of our characters share the same space at the school but they kind of each have their separate stories that even get like a little title card to Mm -hmm. sort of delineate them and then we also have this third character played by emma roberts who we presume is going to intersect with them at some point and there's various kind of hallucinatory flashes of other things going on. It feels all a little disjointed for a while and then is like what's actually happening is brought into focus at like honestly the latest possible moment in the movie to the point where I was like, it ended and I was like, uh, okay. (laughs) And then, and then it took me almost no time to go, Oh, okay, I get it. Right. Actually, that's pretty fucking sweet. But it is it is weird the way that the information is all there, the pieces are all there, but it's just like, boom, he slams the puzzle together at the last minute, basically. That's not a criticism, it's just a very unusually structured movie. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Like, it all comes together in that last moment. I found this a... F- it's weird, because for such a short movie, I mean, it's like 135... Or an hour and 35 minutes, but six minutes of credits or something like that. It still feels like it, it drags, because I'm spending so much of it wondering, like, what am I supposed to be focusing on? What am I supposed to pull from this? It, mm-hmm. it There's not a lot of suspense, even though it is very atmospheric, which I greatly appreciated about it, the cinematography especially, as Chris was saying, it just kind of feels like there's a lack of momentum, and then all of a sudden, you're rewarded for having paid attention to it. <laughs> yeah, and there's yeah. also not a lot of incident. There's fundamentally not a ton going on yeah. at, 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 for long stretches of this movie, especially it starts for a while, and I was like, uh, is this horror, is this going to turn to horror at some point? Because it's just kind of chilly, like private school drama for a, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Kiernan Shipka is in this also. We should mention that. Yes, yeah, Sabrina herself. Sabrina herself as Kat. And noted, noted scab. Uh, <laughs> what the fuck's her name? Emma Roberts. Emma Roberts, yeah. yeah. Despicable. It's an interesting movie, though, and I was drawn into it, and it held my attention. And each the story of each of these three women kind of kind of drew me in, and I was I was invested in each of them a little bit. But yeah, it's it's a very very simple story made interesting because of the structure and because of the way it obfuscates critical information as you go through Mm -hmm. in we'll talk about more in 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 what i thought maybe was an unfair way it obfuscated the information Mm. Um, oh yeah i think we're on the same page buddy i can't wait but we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that later but but it's kind of interesting because yeah you get to the end of it and you're like okay so Eh, like I feel like there's just not a lot of meat on the story. It, it was a way to kill an hour and a half 
with vibes, but as a story, <laughs> I I don't know. I feel like you could have done a better job here. It does feel like yeah, um, obfuscate is a good word. It it feels like the the structure of it, well, interesting kind of. Uh, kind of distracted me from being able to pull any deep meaning out of it, at least on a first viewing. I w- truly wonder, you know, if I were to watch it again, like knowing how it all kind of ties together, if I might feel differently. But it, it felt to me like that was kind of a distraction, a red herring, you know, that that we're left to sort of piece things together, that things are kind of happening out of chronological order um, and from sort of different perspectives, these shifting protagonists where it's like, yeah. you know, it sets up uh, Rose, Lucy Boynton's character, who's the other uh, girl with uh, Sabrina oh, right. at the at the place. Um, it sets her up to be like, you know, almost evil. <laughs> and then we find ourselves rooting for her and following her yeah. even more than Sabrina for a long time. And then it goes over to Emma <laughs> Roberts and what she's doing. So yeah, I'm totally with you guys on it was like hard to figure out what I was supposed to be following and what this movie was about. And it does come together and it comes together late. And if you're okay with that, fast, (laughs) it comes together late and fast. And if you're okay with that sort of thing and those kind of vibes, um, you uh, might enjoy the movie. But if you are someone who wants a movie to get to the point, uh, you might not like this movie. <laughs> well, I kind of like, I don't know. I feel like I've been marinating on some stuff about plot twists and narrative structure in general lately, where I think I'm losing some of my interest in, well, I'm, I'm certainly lost some of my interest in nonlinear structure for nonlinear structure's sake. And I've also, I'm starting to get frustrated with nonlinear structure. That's just there to set up a sick plot twist. Like I would rather you just tell me the movie in linear fashion and then something shocking occurs. That's also shocking to the characters and not just shocking because you withheld information from me or told it in a weird chronological order. I I don't know. I don't have a complete thesis on this. It's just something that's starting to bother me. And I'm starting to rethink this because I I feel like, you know, I even going back to like the fucking usual suspects, which I rewatched within the last year or so. And I thought that was fucking brilliant. The first time I saw it, like 10, 15, however many years ago I rewatched. And it's like, well, the test (laughs) is for me, because I feel similarly, I feel like in the nineties, we got so much of this. We had Tarantino, you know, playing with time in his movies and structure. And for me, it's like, okay, well, does it not only, is it still exciting if I were to go back and watch it? And also, am I going to like learn more or feel more about the characters in the situation? Yeah. Um, Interesting that I brought up Cobweb because that is a movie that people have talked about having a rug pull in it. And I don't think it's a rug pull. I think it's, there's information withheld from a character and the reveal, whether or not you like it, that takes up the last third of the film happens organically. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that. If you can make something that, that is, that is linear inorganic, but still surprising and still compelling from the character's point of view. That's one thing with this. I just don't know. There's too many, the, the form of it is just too unwieldy. Well, yeah, I, I go to like, uh, you know, Memento or like the sixth sense where the, the, the twists, uh, well, and sixth sense isn't a nonlinear type of twist, but Memento certainly is. And, but both of those make sense because it's, 
relating to showing you through the world through the protagonist's eyes and by the time you get to how things go down i mean frankly yeah. memento eh, memento is no no yeah. i i agree with what you're saying because it is about the characters and it's about the people in the story and what they're experiencing uh yeah. i'm a big fan of shutter island which sort of has yeah. a twist oh yeah end. and you know that's because recently we- ranked scorsese's worst movie of all time by i think rolling stone everybody all of a sudden killers of the flower moon came out and everybody's like it's time to make the scorsese master list and i saw someone rank shutter island his worst mm. and i was like just get the fuck out here. Dude, get the fuck up. Put After Hours at the bottom. I'm tired of people telling me After Hours is a good movie. I've seen it. It sucks. Uh, Sorry, Chris. I derailed no, 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 you. I no, just no. had to go on a little mini rant about Scorsese there. But, you know, that's because we have a protagonist who's an unreliable narrator. So I think yeah. that works. When you have an om- omniscient narrator who chooses not to be omniscient at times because it wants to show the audience something cool i'll show you a cool trick later um it's not nearly as fun and it's just you know the whole like oh here's a surprise here's a shock here's a twist that sort of thing it's it's uh it's a it's a pretty blunt instrument in the filmmaker's toolbox, I think. Yeah. You know, there's a, like, I yeah. talked about student films last episode. Like, you can go to a student film fest and see a lot of twist endings <laughs> where the good guy was bad or the bad guy was good or someone put the drugs in the thing. But, you know, it's, you, you want more from a m- movie than that. And the best movies, like The Sixth Sense, that use these things are, are using these tricks and tools to promote the characters, to further the, mm-hmm. the thematic intention and and things like that so right it feels in service to the narrative and not as though the writer started with i want to i want to make a sick twist you know it's it, it's 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 it feels like the starting point you just feel like you're in the, the hands of a bad actor i don't know this is a big tangent and i'm not saying oz perkins is a bad actor because i i actually did like the twist in this but i've just been again like kind of ruminating on twists and what works about them and what doesn't especially mm-hmm. in conjunction with uh non-linear storytelling well, this I think this director is very good, and I'd be I'm very interested to see his other work and his future work. Mm-hmm. I might have to check out the pretty thing that lives in the house um, because I've I seen thought that, but I don't remember a goddamn thing about it. I thought it was he was really strong in the directorial department, but I was so frustrated at the end because I'm like, now that I can see the story, I feel like there's a lot of interesting stuff we could have explored along this story, but we didn't yeah. just so we could have this moment. <laughs> And mm. it's not a it's not a worthy trade off for me. Mm. That sounds like a review. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say we're spinning our wheels here, and we have to. You'll understand why when you come down to the the boiler room, uh, <laughs> where we, we will boil everything. Chris, would you view it, cue it, or screw it? Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say cue it. Um, I did, I did enjoy it for the most part, but like I said, once you get to the end, it's like, all right, that was sort of a pointless affair. Yeah. Um, and I, I wish that all the talent on display in this movie had produced something that was a little bit more special or a little bit more up my alley. Uh, but at the end, I just, I just feel like it. It kind of shortchanges all three of its protagonists to set up a twist <laughs> that isn't necessary or worth it. Um, so mm-hmm. I got to take points off. Cue it. Um, how about you, Stephen? I give it a cue it. I mean, I think it's really well directed. I think it's great to look at. It does. I, I mean, if it were called February, I, I might like it one percent more because it really just does <laughs> evoke that that um, 
that time of year, but like February, it's a little, it left me a little cold, a little too cold. <laughs> um, not, like I didn't really feel like, I don't know if I were to see it again, which I'm not really jumping for, uh, knowing how it all pans out. I wonder if I might be able to tease out some, some, you know, thematic stuff, the, uh, but it didn't really leave me chewing on too much beyond just kind of in my mind, piecing together what I'd just seen. It felt like, like a purely formal exercise without a lot of emotion behind it, which uh, I've read some interviews with Oz Perkins about this movie, and it sounds like he had some, some pretty lofty ambitions. So, I don't know, maybe first-time director's curse? He wasn't quite able to pull it off. But I, I, I think it's worth checking out. I'd be surprised if you think it's a masterpiece. So that's kind of a classic cue it for me. Patrick, what do you think? You guys, I feel like this is the most on the same page we've been in a long time, maybe mm. even a year or more. Um, I will also give it a cue it. You know, lots lots to appreciate here. And again, I essentially liked the ending. <sighs> But then it also feels like a, a kind of a limited high once you do kind of chew on the twist and its implications because it's like, okay, didn't see that coming. That's clever. It's unusual. And that's kind of the end of the thought process around it, at least for me. There's not, there, there aren't really deeper implications that I took away from this. Um, so it does feel... A, like a little bit of an empty exercise and maybe that's just because the you know the craft is high and so you feel like you're going to be getting something more out of this movie you know mm -hmm. and why does the twist even have to mean something more why do we feel disappointed by it i don't know so something about the the wrappings around it make it feel like they're going somewhere a little deeper with all this but totally. um you know Im impressive in many ways but um yeah, not uh, not full banger. It's not a full banger. <laughs> I, that thought you had about us, our expectations, I had the same thought because we've seen several of these like, oh, we're in a boarding school and the devil might be here. <laughs> like We've mm -hmm. seen that movie before. And yeah. I was like, this really is not that far beyond like eerie <laughs> or some of these other movies that <laughs> wow. we've seen. Well, I think it's because it's so chilly and restrained and they're, you know, like those sort of movies are throwing you a jump scare every two seconds. And this certainly isn't. So it's mm -hmm. kind of, you know, it's creating a horror atmosphere, but also saying, look, buddy, you know, we're not putting you on the, the fucking standard schlocky jump scare roller coaster that we go on with so many sure. of these other movies. So you, you are expecting that, it's uh, you know it's going to find its substance somewhere else, and it yeah. doesn't. Quite it's a, but it's it's a matter least. of form over substance because I don't think that this movie is more substance than eerie. It just has a very much more pleasing form mm -hmm. than this or some you know even American Poltergeist or any of these low budget movies we've seen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean it takes itself seriously, and it does have like a sustained tone and mood which i so appreciate because it is so rare there's clearly a vision here but yeah i think the story could have used a little work mm -hmm. and the structure could have used some tweaks uh but that's what we thought about it we'll be curious to hear what you the fans uh i mean this is a movie that's actually pretty well beloved in the horror community i hear it referenced a lot uh let us know on the socials what you think of 
Black Coat's daughter. We're at Amoncast pretty much everywhere. We're on Discord as well. We'll have a link to our Discord on the show notes, so you can check us out there. We like hearing from everybody. We have a website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. Don't go there. Don't go there, <laughs> but it's there. That's too um, scary. <laughs> and that's it. Remember to you know review us. Give us uh, the maximum number of stars on your podcast platform of choice. It helps people find the show. Yeah, we didn't get enough candy this Halloween. We want some some treats from you. So go yeah, give us a cool. nice five-star review to satisfy our souls because we didn't have enough sugar yes, this Halloween. Yes, I, We need sugar from you. Mm-hmm. Give us... <laughs> Yes. Let's go to the boiler room. <laughs> Let's go to the boiler room. See ya in a minute. Welcome back. We are down in the boiler room, ready to boil or spoil everything about this movie. It'll all make sense. The the joke will make sense pretty soon here. Um Chris has volunteered to synopsize what's really going on in The Black Coat's Daughter. So here's what you need to know. We've got these three characters. We've got Sabrina as Catherine, and her story is her parents have left her at the boarding school. They were supposed to come pick her up for the break. They didn't. She's upset. She's had like a dream that they're dead. They seem like they're neglectful parents anyway, so she's kind of coping with that. The headmaster says... To Rose, Lucy Boynton, who is an older student, all right, you're going to watch her uh, in, for a day or two until her parents come. Uh, Rose's parents are coming a day or two late because she suspects she is pregnant and wants some time with her boyfriend to sort that out before her parents arrive. Then we have uh, the third woman, Emma Roberts, as Joan. Joan, we meet her last at a bus stop and we get some sense that she may be on the run we get some flashes of and now i interpreted all this incorrectly but what you're too (laughs) okay (laughs) you're not alone well we'll figured it out but (laughs) we'll get into that we'll get into that but in the text of the movie she has just she looks like maybe she's uh, come out of a mental institution. She, you yeah. we see like a brief flash of her being like restrained by people. She has a, a hospital bracelet on that she takes off uh, in a restroom. And she is quickly sort of adopted by James Remar and his wife, who are parents on their way to the hospital. Is that the actor's name? Yes. Oh. Playing himself, right? Yes, he's playing himself. He plays Bill. Bill is the character. Um, <laughs> Wait, what and, do we know James Re- I don't know this actor. Oh, he's a character actor. He's in uh, all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so they kind of uh, align to go on the road. Back at the school, Rose, like, instead of taking care of Catherine, Sabrina, decides to tell her a spooky story about how the nuns in the school are actually worshiping the devil. And this sort of agitates, uh, and then says, Oh, I'm leaving to go hang out with my boyfriend. Uh, so Catherine becomes a little more agitated about that. She becomes more agitated and sort of acts weird, says some creepy things to Rose. We don't know what's going on. Long story short, all this comes together at the end. We find out that Rose is actually, Catherine in the future. No, 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 not wait, not Rose. Uh, Joan. What's her name? 
Joan. Oh, sorry, sorry, Joan. I said that. Emma, wrong. Emma Roberts is Kieran and Shipka. Emma Roberts is actually Kieran later. and Shipka nine years later because Kieran and Shipka, Sabrina, went crazy, started worshiping the devil herself, mm-hmm. and killed everyone at the school with a knife, including Rose. And now Joan, aka Catherine, aka Sabrina is in a car with the parents of Rose going back to pay respects at the school after Catherine has just broken out of the institution where she's been held because she's a murderer. Whoa. Formerly possessed murderer. Yeah. Whoa. (laughs) So we see. Yeah. 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 You can interject. (laughs) I got to interject because, you know, you talk. I said we were probably on the same page about something that was misleading in this. Um, It's been about almost. So this takes. The stuff with Joan takes place nine years later. It's been about nine years in real life since this movie came out, and Kiernan Shipka looks the same as she did. <laughs> like, yeah. the casting is such a misdirect that I don't think it's fair. It's but not. also, if they didn't recast her, would there be any suspense? There'd be no movie. No. There'd be no movie, right? So I'm conflicted <laughs> on this. Their hair is exactly the same. They do. They do clue you in on that. Which yeah. that's that's one thing that you would think would change in nine years, but especially when you're in an institution. But she also looks kind of I don't know, like maybe I have face blindness. I was so confused watching this. I'm like, wait, is that Emily? Is that the Emily Boynton character at <sighs> times? Like she looks more like her than Kiernan Shipka. I'm so it's fucking face blind. <laughs> so so here's the thing: we we meet this we meet this woman Emma Roberts at a bus stop, and I assume she was a student from the school. Because all the students at the school like leave with their parents or leave the school for the for the winter break. And then we see this young woman getting off a bus. I'm like, oh, she's from the school. And I thought, oh, she I don't know who Emma Roberts is. I was like, oh, she must be the girl that Rose was talking to about her pregnancy. Because there's another like sort of long haired blondish girl yes. at the school. So I'm like, okay, I think this is her. I didn't know it was a new character. I thought it was school related too, also because that's like right after Rose leaves to go find her boyfriend, and yeah, I, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of kind of jarring, and it took me an unnecessarily long amount of time to figure out that this is a different character, and that I don't really know what's going on with that thread. Then there's the scene where she's with Bill having dinner, which was very interesting because we didn't know what the fuck was going on. <laughs> and he's talking about how they're going to the school because the other daughter died, etc. And then he shows a picture of Rose, Lucy Boynton. And we're like, holy shit, because we know Rose is still alive. This guy must be crazy. Oh, but he prefaces that by talking about how much she reminds him of his daughter. And at that point, I'm looking at the hair and I'm like, oh, this must be Catherine slash Sabrina's daughter. Or, or this must be her parents. Um, and so that's why I noticed that they sort of resembled each other. But I, still, when you cast two two people, two different actors for the same role, I don't know. It's not playing fair. But yeah, they wouldn't have a movie without it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, like, kind of, uh, yeah, just red herrings. I mean, you think that Bill is going to be a bad guy, that he's going to try to take advantage of Joan somehow or other. And, I mean, that's not, I mean, not just in the sense that, like, an old dude picking up a young girl randomly at a bus station is 
a little, uh, you know, <laughs> raises an eyebrow under any circumstances, but also he plays it weird. He's a weird fucking character. You think something's going to happen there. You think something's going to happen with the pregnancy. The pregnancy itself is kind of unclear if it's actually a pregnancy or if that might be something greater. Like I was thinking like Satan spawn impregnation or something. There's just a lot of kind of just shit thrown in there to trip you up and and misdirect you. It does all hold together. I mean, the thing I'll say about this movie is like, I think if I were to watch it again, it's pretty logically airtight. Yeah, that yes. doesn't make it any more meaningful or impactful, but I think it does a good job of like, well, okay, this all tracks. I, I mean, just don't I did know what to make of it. I did like damn near watch the whole because I got to the end. And I was there was like, all right, there's a couple of moments I need to watch again. There's a couple of things I didn't understand, so I went back and I, I basically scrubbed through the whole movie. Uh, so I kind of did watch it twice to try to get some more insight. I didn't learn much. Well, and I have to confess, I watched this movie during what has already turned out to be an extremely stressful week. I had to cram it in, and I'm impressed that we're as much on the same page as we are. Mm-hmm. Um, because I thought, like, I don't know, I can't make heads or tails of this. And it, and it sounds like I perceived it as a first-time viewer probably should or would. But here's the thing, and I want to know when you guys caught on to this twist, because if I hadn't gotten so confused about this character being a student at the school, I feel like you'd have to be an idiot to not pick up on the twist before yeah. they really get to it. Because for me, the, the, for me, the pivotal moment is we see the, the killing spree at the school and Kiernan Shipka is, has killed everybody and the police come and they raise their rifle at her. And we recognize that it's the same thing we saw in a flashback from Emma Roberts. And she has a bullet wound in her shoulder. And that's when you go, aha. But I feel like, I feel like you have enough information to figure this out before that moment. Patrick, when did you figure it out? I don't remember. I'm not, I'm not the right person to ask. I feel like I, I did put it together at the very last minute, but um, that might be more like kind of emotional memory than anything. Hmm. I started to sense that that was going to be the quote unquote twist, but maybe like a couple minutes before that. And then when she got shot, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And that is a thing that's kind of interesting about this movie is there are these like stray, like, you know, blink and you'll miss it moments that actually end up paying off pretty well, um, you know, with with the appropriate caveats uh, in the end. But yeah, that was the moment where I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's that's Cat, however many years later. I got the nine years later from Wikipedia or something. I don't know if it's ever explicitly stated in the movie. Yeah, it is when he talks about when his daughter yeah. died. Yeah. Oh, right, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's something kind of fucky about when they show Cat getting shot, right? Because there's, I, I forget what it is, but I feel like there's some kind of obfuscation there to... Or, or does that happen right at the very end of the movie? I don't know. I my my sense of the timeline is kind of screwed here. Mm, that's right at the end, basically. Oh, okay. All right. So that is where it comes together. She murders the nuns. She murders Rose, and then she gets shot when the police show up, and then she winds up at the mental institution. Okay. And that's all with that's probably in the last fifteen minutes of the movie. I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then in quote-unquote modern day or the future, depending from on your perspective, Emma Roberts, as the grown-up Kiernan Shipka, pulls out a knife and kills the people who she's riding with, who are Rose's parents. And she goes right. back to the school and breaks into the boiler room, cuts off their heads just like she used to, and she's going to set the heads in front of the furnace and do a little demon ritual like she did all those years ago. 
but the furnace is cold. You know, you just you just can't go back to your to your school days. You can't you can't go back to bed. You know, that was that was the like that was almost the twist here for me as much as anything. Um, I mean, like I, I'm not. We have been talking about the twist. The twist is this weird time shift thing, whatever. Um, but to me, there was also a twist in that, like, it was this weirdly emotionally touching ending for me, too, that, like, you know, because I, I think you are... We're not supposed to endorse the the violence or whatever, but there, I felt bad for her not being able to reconnect with the demon at the end, and I thought that was an interesting emotional <laughs> note to end it on. That yeah. like she had she had missed this connection to this demon or whatever, and had been like waiting to try and and I guess reunite, and he wasn't there. He was gone, and I felt sad. And yeah. then she ends up just crying in the middle of the road. You know, it is yeah. it is sad. And, like, I mean, I finished it a, maybe, like, three hours ago um, and was sort of baffled by the ending. But the longer I have to chew on it and from talking to you two smart gentlemen, it's an interesting concept. I mean, she has nothing to cling to. You know, Headmaster's mm-hmm. gone. Well, also, it's nine years later. Her parents are dead. This demon infiltrated her life her mind her spirit at like just the right time to make enough of an impression that she felt maybe almost like comforted like well this is how things are gonna be now mm-hmm. and then she comes back to reality and she's completely alone she's killed her friend the school is closed it's derelict mm-hmm. what the hell is she gonna do I mean, it's it's a sad story, and that's the the sort of the emotional through line. Is there's Kiernan Shipka is looking for a father in this whole movie, and mm. she, something has happened where she's been abandoned by her actual parents. She yeah. has this sort of naive hope that oh, they're actually going to come pick me up from school, but she knows and we know they're not going to immediately we see her bargaining with the headmaster because he's going on vacation and he's going to miss her school recital she's trying to project the fatherhood onto him and he lets her down yeah oh man i was really worried that scene was going to go somewhere else oh no Mm. Um, then the devil steps in and she's like, okay, great. I have a father now. And she, she obeys that father. Or actually, I mean, you could even say Rose. Rose is a parental figure to her and who mm-hmm. denies the duty. Lets her down. Abandons yeah. her even further. Mm-hmm. Then the devil oh. steps in. The devil seems to have a solution for her. And then when she's out of the asylum, I think she's looking for a father figure in Bill and James Remar, but realizes quickly that first of all this guy might be trying to fuck me and secondly this guy has a daughter he's hung up on and only likes me because or or she might be into that but then his wife has the scene where she's like you're not our fucking daughter fuck you bitch. we have a daughter yeah we have one that's dead and we have one that's very much alive and we keep doing this sad ritual every year and he finds someone that looks nothing like her Mm -hmm. but he latches on so the parenthood is denied again, so she kills them, goes back to the devil, and the devil's denied her now, too. It's a sad story. On paper, it's so interesting, but I, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe in, like, five years, I'll have to revisit this movie when I'm, when I'm ready to go back to it and see if it might play differently. Because all the pieces are there for it to be a really compelling story. Well, that's the thing, and that was my letdown, because I'm like, I think that this emotional journey is very interesting, I wish we had spent more time with it. Like, why can't we sort of feel 
her being pulled but in these different directions a little better maybe feel some conflict about whether or not she should be stabbing these people uh etc instead of just like oh she's stabbing people and we're gonna see it from the point of view of rose looking through the, the the window and her devil ritual or something i don't know so sorry, I just went down a little rabbit hole because I wanted to look up the meaning of the term black coat. Apparently, uh, 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 a sort of disparaging name for a clergyman is the main definition of it. Um, the other definition in Merriam-Webster is a <laughs> British term for a member of the black coated class, whatever that means. <laughs> Um, but the other thing that I noticed while I was looking this up is, Stephen, did you track that Elvis Perkins did the soundtrack for this? So, yeah, I looked that up earlier, and I, I don't know how I never put together that Elvis Perkins is Oz Perkins's brother. Oh, and also yeah. son of Anthony Perkins. I'm like, what? Like, I used to listen to that guy. I remember. Yeah. And the music is pretty cool in this. There's some yeah. fun kind of psychedelic stuff going on, some drones. I hadn't um, heard his name in a long time. Wow. That's me a blast from the past. either. Since, like, the mid-2000s, probably. Yeah. Uh, I I also tried to figure out, okay, what does black coat mean? And Oz Perkins said something like, well, like black coat to him symbolizes like a a father or authority figure. So it could be a priest. It could be a father. It could be a surrogate father. Mm. I just, I don't think it works. I think it's too weird and niche. And again, kind of throws you off the scent of what this movie really is because it makes it sound like a period piece in some sense. Yeah. Well, and also just in the sense that like, it's a term that doesn't, actually mean anything to anyone <laughs> yeah yeah fair it's it's terrible marketing it's a terrible title we but we've been over that i guess well and it left me confused because at the beginning you hear this like nursery rhyme or something that says something about black yeah. coat's daughter and and yeah. apparently that's original to this movie <laughs> well that was how i just found out about elvis perkins because i was like okay merriam mm-hmm. webster is not giving me anything on this term let me see if i can find it find out anything about this song because i assumed like a traditional song of some right. sort but apparently not yeah so i'm starting the whole thing like oh i should i should be getting the allusion to a nursery rhyme that apparently is popular but i've never heard and maybe that will cue me into what's going on thematically yeah. but no just a red airing. The more we talk about it, the more frustrating I get, honestly, because there is so much here that works and also so many just like weird, uh, I, I, I almost don't even want to say bad choices, just frustrating choices. Mm-hmm. They feel to me like first feature director choices. Like I, in one, on one level, I mean, one, he wanted to call this movie February and that was clear. That's <laughs> how it was initially playing the, um, the festival circuit. But I like the idea of, okay, the Black Coat's Daughter. We got an interesting title. Let's make up a song. Let's create a mythology. It doesn't do that definitively or successfully enough for me, though. Because we're still Googling it, trying to figure out what it means after we finish the movie. Yeah. It's sad. And because there's just so, (laughs) there's so much, all the stuff with James Remar, I was on the edge of my seat. I love, I loved his performance. I love that dialogue. I love not really knowing what was going on with either of these characters, but feeling like it was nothing good. That was great. And it's a shame that those moments and those scenes were in this movie and all in service of that twist that was just neither here nor there. Yeah. I mean, he's even dressed like a priest, which is 
yeah in, you know interesting he's not he's not but like you have to it really looks look like it because he's yeah. wearing like a high collared black jacket and a turtle white turtleneck sort of yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's just it, uh, i i don't know if this were a more straightforward movie where i was able to like really take everything in and think about themes and motifs we probably wouldn't have talked about it as long as we have honestly yeah uh, but he's done some interesting work since then. I, I, I think this this very much does feel like I said like a like a first time writer director's uh, project, and he's trying stuff out. And I'll give him points for that. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be interesting to be like the son of like former Hollywood royalty and have to have such a hard time getting your movie sold. It seems like it took him a long time for this. Mm. So that that to me speaks of the fact that like this is a movie definitely with a vision that isn't mainstream. He's not riding on his father's coattails, his black coattails. He's trying different sure. things. Uh and they're not always successful, but but I admire the effort. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot to admire with this. Oh yeah, no prejudice in my in my cue it today. No prejudice. Also, do you guys remember? Uh, you you may not. This may be a revelation to you. Oz Perkins was in Nope. Oh no! He was uh, that that commercial shoot at the beginning of the movie. He mm. was either I can't remember what his role was. If he was the director or the first AD, but he was one of the bitchy guys that's trying to get things moving along, wow. uh, and, and that ends up upsetting the horse. Huh. Hmm. Interesting. A fun little fact for you. Well, he upset well, the horse, and he upset me in this movie with with that twist. Yeah. yeah, well, I think we've beaten this horse to death, uh, and I've learned uh, the wheel is on strike. The wheel so, death is on strike. It says it only does Netflix movies. Um, so I'm just going to pick this we, week. we spun it, and it said, ask Chris. Yep, it said, ask Chris again later. All right, well... Listen, gentlemen, I think we're going to be watching Men. Yes. yes. Oh, finally. We're yes. going to be watching Men. Because um, we and, don't have enough of those on this podcast. Yeah, that's that's the name of the movie. Uh, it's Alex Garland's Men. I haven't seen Annihilation yet, but Ex oh. Machina was a very good movie. The same director returns to make a folk horror film. And all I know is it's about men. Is there anything scarier? I don't think so. <laughs> out of my book. Well, I, I'm actually going to be sitting next episode out because I will be traveling. But I really am like, have been looking forward to watching this for a while and haven't gotten to it yet. So I will watch it on my own time and uh, mm. you know maybe, maybe text you some thoughts or something. You could leave us a voicemail that we could play on the show. There we go. I'll leave you a voicemail with my radio. You could leave us a little jigsaw tape. You could record a tape, (laughs) coat it in wax, (laughs) and swallow it. We'll take it out your autopsy and play it. (laughs) But yeah, I guess if he's not, we're going to have to get a couple more men to be on this this show for for next episode, Steve. (laughs) Have have Greg on. Greg is enough man for two men. I'll hop on Grinder and see if I can uh, cook up some magic. Let's see how many (laughs) men we can get. <laughs> oh, that's so fun! I've 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 wanted to see this movie since it came out, and it just keeps eluding me because I don't think it's ever popped up on any of the big streaming platforms, which of course are the enemy now. All right, so join join uh, us two men, me and Chris, in a couple of weeks to watch Men 
for every A24 movie on Blu-ray. I've been Steven. I'm I've Patrick. Been, oh, I've sorry. been I've been Chris. Man, <laughs> just talking over each other. We're all just chomping at the bit. All right. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Man.